Welcome back, everyone, to There's Always Another Podcast, a Brandon Sanderson reading and rereading podcast. I'm Justin, and as always, I am joined by... Coffee Time Beth! <laughs> Sunny Day Sam! Shit, shit, um... And a... <laughs> I a... Ma'am, a... Oh, this doesn't work with one-syllable words that start vowels. Uh, Aleb K, we got it. Did you run out Nailed of it. Duolingo languages? I ran out of uh, uh, languages that um, I planned ahead of time because it's too early in the morning and I forgot to do that this episode. But I, I, I remembered one. I've, I've spent countless hours learning Pig Latin on Duolingo. And I'm still kind of a beginner, <laughs> I think. But, you know, I, I'm fluent enough that I could probably spend a week in the home country and, and get by all right. Hi, Caleb. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh... Yeah, we are. Uh, we're back. We're on our uh, very standard one episode per week schedule, as we all know that these podcasts are produced. Yeah, nothing uh, and, has changed. And we're starting part three today. We are uh, going into part three, the Broken Skies, uh, which we're going to be covering in just two episodes. And uh, we have we have at least one notable thing. <laughs> all right. Okay. The skulls were counted. The skulls they were, were counted. counted. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. I, I, I still don't know exactly what the deal with the counting of the skulls <laughs> is, because we don't get a lot of detail on it, but we do actually count skulls this episode, so that's a positive thing. Yeah. It means everyone can get off my back about it. Yeah. <laughs> For Justin, this is the biggest thing all book. <laughs> Remember, Justin, my question was not, when are they going to count skulls? My question was, what the fuck is up with the skulls? <laughs> well, we'll get there. We'll see if Spook figures it out. We'll get there. But yeah, we are, uh, we're into uh, part three here. Uh, we have a, a pretty decent focus on uh, the goings-on with the, uh, the, the Spook crew. Uh, though we also do see uh, some some more updates from uh, a couple of other characters, uh, most notably the one that we start the section with in chapter thirty four, uh, we're back to checking in on Marsh. Oh, Marsh! And he actually does do things this time. He does do things instead of literally just sitting and thinking the entire time. Which which I need to clarify once more. One of the best chapters in the book so far. Oh, I'm not making fun of the absolutely. fact that he does nothing. <laughs> yeah, no, it's cool. It's very cool. Also, now that he is, uh, well, we should uh, we should do things in the proper order. We will uh, we'll start in with uh, with chapter thirty four with our epigraph, uh, which uh, we had some some discussions at the end of our previous episode <sighs> on thoughts on how allomancy and hemology work, uh, and now we get the uh, the the third and final. Uh, of of Ferrichemi, which according to our writer here uh is the power of balance uh which okay. has has no loss of energy so some sometimes you go attack on titan brain and it's for nothing and i want to acknowledge that however <laughs> i i still have thoughts about this because if this is true and the epigraph writer is correct about this then now i just feel like the 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 name given to preservation is a misnomer because that it 
the balancing point between preservation and ruin, if you think about what those two words mean literally, the balancing point between those two should be ruin except slower. And the idea that a net gain thing is tied to preservation and a net loss thing is tied to ruin, you'd think there should be... The, the, the middle one should be preservation and there's, you know, going... It's... I don't, I don't love this, is, my, is what I'm getting at here. I feel like the wording of everything here makes it feel weird. That net zero is not tied to the word preservation, which is what I would associate with that word normally. I think your objection is well noted, and we will have to learn some more Cosmere stuff. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> Interesting. I love that, like, we have now, it, it legitimately is Sam and I saying interesting way more often than Beth and Justin are. We have <laughs> reclaimed promised. that word. I was promised interesting. I, I name at the end of uh, my chapter notes for every single section we do, the section where I talk about predictions is labeled interesting. Mm -hmm. And you never say it. Y'all have Didn't claimed interesting. Sad. I think Justin just hit you with a rainbow. <laughs> I know, I just got handed the card, which is exciting and also confusing. <laughs> so, yeah, not only uh, do we have uh, Marsh in this chapter, we also have a volcano. Yeah, you sure so... do! <laughs> getting, uh, getting closer there. But the, uh, the things that we see Marsh doing, uh, he is now... Well, I, I say he is actively doing things, but whether Marsh is doing those things is still kind of up for, for question. Well, yeah, there's a really interesting, I have a note about that a little bit later, but the idea of is this ruined thinking or is this good Marsh thinking or is this evil Marsh thinking and is that a separate entity is there's a few ways that things are written in this chapter that make it kind of unclear and a little bit scary. Yeah. It's uh, it's amazing that we have this character that I really want to snap out of it, and yet just effortlessly be like the the meanest, most evil character in the world. And I'm interested in it because I want him to snap out of it. I don't know if that mm -hmm. makes any sense, but you know what mm -hmm. I mean. Like, the, I, if it was just like generic bad guy who we'd never met before, it would not hold the same weight as Marsh is the effortless. Exactly destroyer of, of towns even if this was like one of the other named inquisitors that we knew like car. That, that's you're right that's different than i mean car's pretty dead but i know that's different most than, of the named ones are pretty dead yes yes uh yeah just kind of building off of that i feel like whenever you see like good guy gets mind controlled in fiction sometimes they'll do kind of messed up things but a lot of the times, if it's a temporary, like, thing, it won't be that bad so that the character can angst a little bit when they snap out of it. But for the most part, they can just get back to being on the good side here. And, um, yeah, Marsh is really, really drinking the Kool-Aid here. Um, and it is, it is, yeah, hard to see. It's, 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 it's very, it's sad and upsetting and scary all at the same time. Mm-hmm. I mean, at this point, at least uh, temporally, it's not so much on page because we didn't see Marsh for 90% of Well of Ascension. Uh, but at least temporally, we've known Inquisitor Marsh longer than we knew him before he was spiked. Mm -hmm. And yeah, he is uh, 
he's here in this this small village. Uh, it's close to the the central dominance where they should still be in the empire's territory in places where the sun is still shining enough to grow food. Uh, but the the village is not doing great, and Marsh is here to make it even more not great. Uh, <laughs> as as he he has a very distinct mission. Uh, he he goes straight to uh, the one um, the one nice building, the one mansion here. Uh, just very quickly, efficiently dispatches the the couple of guards here. Uh, and finds this uh this noble uh in a a drunken haze and doesn't really matter one way or the other uh the the man here is going to get stabbed with a spike is the mission and that man is Jasty's Lacall Jasty's no it's not <laughs> don't false advertise that's fair um yeah and <laughs> The, the the I feel like the worst part to all of this is like Marsh is humming to himself as he's going through all this. This is upsettingly the happiest we have ever seen Marsh. That is true. Yeah. Yeah. He's at his happiest when he's killing maids. We're we're trying to get out of his way. Um but yeah, in terms of the uh kind of dichotomy of who's thinking, um we do have right before he kills the guy Marsh wants to do it in this really like torturous manner, and the line is, "But Ruin would have none of that." Marsh sighed at the injustice of it, which kind of implies that it is not just Ruin thinking. There is a part of Marsh's brain separate from Ruin that is still really upset that he doesn't get to do evil stuff, um, which is yeah, it's not great. <laughs> yeah, not uh, not spectacular. And then the you know he. He came here, he did this murder for the sole purpose of creating this spike, apparently. Uh, and then he just leaves, and as he is leaving, uh, the mountain erupts, and these people are all just kind of screwed. Not not before they beg for the return of the Lord Ruler, though. Uh, yeah. It's just not a lot of hope here. No, th- this is... <laughs> this is one of the, the darkest bits that we've seen this book i'd say yeah and uh if you want a fun fact it mentions the large gout of lava flowing down the side but um the deluge of dust ash and rock is pyroclastic flow that would have already killed the villagers before the lava gets there just fun science fact for you in the fun fact science corner (laughs) that read like a spec ops the line loading screen (laughs) quote (laughs) the pyroclastic flows would have killed them long before the lava so really they were the lucky ones (laughs) Can we do a bonus episode on Spec Ops The Line? Oh, yeah. We can. <laughs> that episode would be an hour of me not shutting up. <laughs> great, great game. I hated the helicopter part, but I feel like every game that has a helicopter part, people say that, so. <laughs> Anyways, in other children's fun fact science corner news, we do learn a little bit more about hemallergy. Um, we sure do. Marsh thinks through why... He has to put this spike into the guy and how it works. Yeah, we uh, we learn a couple more details. Uh, we we see that uh, the the preferred way to do it, which was what we had seen earlier, uh, was directly taking a spike, driving it through one person with power and into another person. 
uh, which we we had seen uh, we'd seen the aftermath of with the the way that inquisitors are created, uh, and we saw very early on uh, with them uh, stealing powers from uh, the the keeper. Uh, but this is uh, this way does apparently work, where Marsh has has killed this this noble who was a, a smoker and now has this spike and is going to take it somewhere else and use that to uh, to to give powers to presumably another inquisitor. So the whole point of this, not that Ruin's plan is any of Marsh's business, but the whole point of this appears to be, go to this town, take this one guy's power, and then I'm going to kill the town because. LOL. Yeah, pretty that much. Appears yeah. to be yeah what Ruin has has made here today. Just yeah, it's on brand. Yeah, how Ruin. Yeah, is. proves the name is apt. <laughs> so as we move on from uh, from Marsh and Ruin's destruction here, uh, our epigraphs are going to dwell on on hemolurgy for a bit, and we'll we'll learn a bit more about that from the epigraphs as well from from what Marsh just showed us. And it's a a very um, kind of personal note from the epigraph writer first before we get into the the theory of uh, a power about which I I wish I knew far less, which I think is fair. <laughs> yeah, too messy. But that's what makes it so fun. Apparently. I gotta say, and it's been said before, but just thinking back to Quan, it's just so nice to have an epigraph writer with just no bullshit. Just <laughs> like, <laughs> even here when it's a personal note about, like, he's talking about, um, I say he with my theory of who it is, um, uh, talking about um, like his own personal feelings on the subject. He's still giving out information that feels good to know. There's no point where it's just like, ah, well, I know I ramble, so I'm going to keep rambling for a little bit before I actually get to what I'm trying to say. <laughs> There's no part where they go Oregon Trail like, oh, we brought 30 sacks of corn flour and 15 <laughs> boxes of... Thanks, Alendi. <laughs> All killer, no filler, this epigraph writer, and I appreciate that. So yeah, we'll see a few more notes about uh, hemolurgy in the next couple of chapters. Uh, but here in chapter 35, uh, we uh, we see Spook and now the, the rest of the crew that has arrived uh, have now kind of settled in and are doing things in the city to, to progress their plan. Uh, Spook and Breeze, uh, as well as some of Gordel's soldiers, uh, are in a tavern which Breeze has to appreciate somewhat. Yeah. He questions it in a later chapter. Like, why are people going to taverns? Well, it's because people like booze. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and that was the conclusion that was drawn as well. Yeah. So there is a, uh, there's a bit of a funny moment where Breeze is, is going to, to come with to the, the poorer sections, the, the more rundown taverns. Uh, and and Spook says you you know you'd stand out a little bit just because of the way that you are, uh, and says well if, you know if you want to come we can dirty you up a little bit to help the disguise and Breeze just goes nope I will I will be elsewhere. But he's wearing brown. Obviously yeah. he's poor. Can I give a brown clothes? I have a brown clothes anecdote. Justin, have I told you my brown clothes anecdote? <laughs> Do tell. Okay, so uh so it's like just before my birthday 
and I'm chatting with like me and my brother and my grandma is over just kind of hanging with my parents and she's got an ear out for what I want for my birthday um, and there's this skit um, as part of like a sketch comedy show uh, called um, Black 20 which is on uh, you know Google it it's good um, but there's a section where they're trying to make these two characters just have no chemistry at all while they're dancing and they uploaded like this 10 minute long improv session where they just came up with like the worst pickup lines possible and or the worst like lines to say while you're dancing with somebody as possible and so one of them was the guy was just like i don't have enough brown clothes i should wear more brown <laughs> and i said this to my brother as a joke and he and i both oh, laughed no. but, my, but my grandma thought i was serious Oh. <laughs> and she she bought me a ton of brown clothes for my birthday. That's amazing. <laughs> and so I just had like brown sweaters and and brown like slacks and I was like thanks. Thank you. <laughs> I don't okay. I mean that is a very nice gesture, but it is. Yeah. It's, it's actually really yeah. sweet. It's just not It's just it's wrong. Stupid. It's <laughs> I should have turned to her and been like, "Do not take this as advice or yeah. <laughs> or a suggestion." No, trust me, I want a PS2. Yeah. <laughs> My brown clothing anecdote is far less personal, but there is a very good Instagram that does quote unquote ads for Werner Herzog brand clothing, which is just her <laughs> narrating over stock photos of people wearing brown clothes and looking sad in a Werner Herzog accent. <laughs> So now that we've finished our brown clothing tangent, <laughs> sentences I did not expect to say when starting this podcast. Kelsier says he hated Breeze. Yeah, that's Which weird, is isn't a normal, it? normal, normal thing for Kelsier to say. This is like, Breeze, notably the third person he wanted in his crew after Doxon was Breeze. Yeah. yeah. And it wasn't like, oh, he's, that guy's dead. Let's go with Breeze. The clubs was that. This is, Breeze was intended. Ham and Breeze. He met Docs that first night, and he's like, let's go find Breeze and Ham and talk to them. I hate that guy. <laughs> I hate that guy. I've always hated that guy. I've never made a mistake. <laughs> so yeah, let, let's officially mark uh, Kelsier Het here as uh, suspicious and weird. Acting sus, like he wasn't before. <laughs> now it's yeah, a bit. That's that's actually fair. Kelsier's just kind of one of those people who, like, everything he did, kind of did have this this air of mystery and drama and suspicion. Like mostly intentionally on his part, but that does occasionally backfire if you're, you know, if he needs you to trust him. Yeah. Well, Mistborn need not make sense. So, you know. You're right. I think it's interesting to to remember this or to think on this and then remember like God and Zane and just picture like God had been with Zane for like years and years and years and maybe God started out like this. Like I don't really like that guy. And then like as the years progressed God just got like kill him. Just kill him. Just just kill somebody. Just kill Zane, I want to spread chaos. I picked you for a reason, buddy. <laughs> yeah, we've seen, uh, we've now seen a couple 
instances of people hearing suspicious voices and they are quite different and we'll have to see if uh, if this new uh Kelsier that we're all very suspicious of starts to to get a little more uh unhinged looks on the next page you may yeah, need to kill them Kelsier whispered <laughs> i mean again th- th- like that line i 100% believe Kelsier would say yeah that's actually that's not true. too out of place you may need to drop kick one of them <laughs> but stealthily, but stealthily. <laughs> I will never forgive the dropkick ever <laughs> so yeah Spook has uh, has taken leave from Breeze has done a dramatic superhero fall directly into one of the, the street slots cause he can <laughs> it does specifically mention cause just to get my terminology straight Flaring is more, like, intense than just burning a metal, correct? Yes. Yeah, Yeah, he's already flaring his pewter all the time. Like, he's all on board. It's like, yeah, I'll do it with this one, too. That'll be okay. I get the (laughs) sense that Spook and Allomancy are just kind of a dangerous combination. Like, it's probably good for him that he, until this point, only had access to tin, or he would have severely hurt himself. Yeah, he just becomes a Resident Evil monster by the end of this. (laughs) So his uh, objective today is to go track down Dern again, because uh, he has uh, some words and some questions for the man. There's a, a bit of a, a scuffle, uh, and uh, Spook, with the aid of his pewter, is uh, holding his own. But uh, fortunately, Dern is able to get everyone to calm down a bit, and, and the two of them can actually just talk. It's interesting... Well, maybe not interesting. I don't know. Uh, Spook Spook loves going off half cocked. Just there's no plan here. I'm just gonna go talk to Dern because fuck that guy. <laughs> he he talks shit about me. Yeah, you're not wrong. So, so his plan was just to barge in there, barge in there, and be like, "Hey, heard you've been talking shit." Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't know. I'm mad at you. Yeah, that's that's pretty much what it's gonna start with. He's taking uh, Kelsier's drama lessons to heart, though, because he it's noted that he's wearing the cloak that he was a little bit set on fire in. So it's just got all these, like, scorch marks and holes in it, which I think is kind of a cool image. Yeah, that's, that's pretty yeah. cool. I'll, I'll give him that one. Oh, yeah. I also just, he really can't help himself sometimes. Because you have, Dern goes like, okay, we figured out that you were the survivor's friend. We figured out you were his ten eye. We knew you had special powers. And immediately Spook is like, oh yeah, I have special powers. Let me feel the bumps on this playing card to show how cool I am. That I could just feel the card and tell that they're marked cards even though I'm not actually looking at it. Okay, back to business. Yeah, you're right, I have special powers. But uh, what else are you talking about? And also, you, do you even need the special powers? Are all of Dern's men who are playing with these marked cards tin eyes? Yeah, I mean, I would imagine that if you knew where they were, you could pick them up just as an average person, as someone who has done a non-zero amount of card magic. Uh, but <laughs> Spook does get to show off a bit and just, like, pick the card up and find the marks without knowing anything about it. And then Dern makes a very good point, which is when Spook asks why 
there are being rumors spread about him right now. And, and Dern says, uh, you're supposed to be dead, which <laughs> is a good point. And we do hear, because I feel like this was a, a little bit ambiguous before of, you know, what what side of this whole thing is Dern playing on? Uh, Dern does say that he sees what Quellian is doing to the city uh, and does want things to be better. And in his own weird way, thinks that the pushing these rumors of what Spook has been doing uh, is going to potentially push the city in a certain way actually really clever stuff i mean you can't stop the burn execution here but you might as well make hay out of it yeah so props to dern i mean there is also the part where he says look i have not been able to sell any of my stolen goods and this needs to change so <laughs> it's not all altruistic but i'll, I'll give him credit we also have a spook saying all right go talk to my friend and like Spook just got angry of how did you figure out who I am? And Dern's explanation was, well, we know a lot about the survivor. We know like some of the people in his crew. So we were able to figure out it was you. And Spook goes, go talk to my friend. He's a soother, the best one you'll ever meet. I wonder if Dern's going to figure out who Breeze is with that information. I wonder <laughs> yeah. if he might be able to piece that together. Yeah. But don't worry, because Spook does say, don't mention my name or what happened to me. So it's all it's all fine. Don't worry. Yeah, and Darren will definitely honor that. The Thief King. <laughs> Trust the Thief King. So Spook uh, gets to just walk home in the night after this. Uh, has a, a chat with Kelsier, as one does. Yeah. And uh, one thing that, that Brandon points out in the annotations is when... Uh, when when Spook realizes that someone is uh, is approaching him and uh, gets ready to to perhaps start a fight, uh, and Kelsier tells him you're not in any danger, Brandon said that when when his uh, his writing group was reading this book so far, there was some question as to is is Kelsier here the way that Spook has been interacting with him. Is this some sort of magical weird thing, or is Spook just like hallucinating? And this was this was one of the first. There's a couple of times, but this one distinctly is one where Kelsier knows a thing that Spook does not, and so it's like there is something weird and magical going on here, and it's not you know just all in Spook's head. That's that is fair. I felt like I was pretty sure that it was not just a hallucination when he said, here are precise directions to a desk where there's a hidden vial of allomantic metals and also you have pewter now. <laughs> that was the other one that he that he mentioned. Okay, fair uh, enough. Yeah. Yeah, he says that the, the discovery of the metal vials should have been proof of enough of that, uh, but given the pace of that scene, some people still weren't sure. That's fair. Yeah, it's easy to skip over when you're enthralled but here <laughs> take a little bit of time but the uh the thing that is happening here that someone is coming to spook for uh is that uh one of uh one of dern's men uh says that his sister was was just taken by the citizen uh and and his sister is uh is part noble and is probably going to get executed and 
for lack of any better option, uh, this man has come to spook, uh, who thinks, you know, what, what am I supposed to do about this? But then decides that, uh, he is the person to do something about this, uh, and is, is going to, uh, is, is going to go do something about it. And we will have to see what, uh, what that becomes. Hell yeah, spook. Muster, muster ten men to help rescue sister. No, to pay for the sister as payment. <laughs> yeah, the sister. I'm just gonna take care of. Don't don't worry. I got you. But I I, I need some I need some help here. Heroes for hire, <laughs> basically. Yeah, this is this moment is obviously a turning point for Spook. But a few lines earlier, there's a moment that I don't know if it was an intentional or if I'm just reading deeply, but. Uh, this man comes rushing around the corner and yells, my lord, and Spook's first thing is, well, I'm no lord. Even though he's spent previous chapters like, yeah, I kept begging Ellen for a title, but he just never gave me one. So for the first thing to be correcting this guy of like, no, don't call me that, that also, to me, shows a lot of the trajectory that our our boy has taken here. That's definitely interesting. Mm-hmm. He wants to be a man of the people instead of just a a, a horny teenager. <laughs> well, a thing can be two things. Yeah, I was going to say, ¿Por qué no los dos? <laughs> but yeah, we will we'll check back in later this section on what the uh, the next step is there. Uh, but we are going to head back to Fadrex for a bit. Uh, but first, we're going to have a, uh, a the start of a kind of deep dive into hemallergy. Mm. <laughs> um, head spinning a little <laughs> trying to get it straight we'll, we'll see yeah i i will say in a like whole cosmere sense uh of all the different things that that brandon has has written uh hemology is very powerful and very complex when you dive into all the the quite literally messy details uh, so looking at this little bit of an explanation and and saying, well, there's still a lot more that I don't know is uh, perfectly reasonable. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm going to be, I, I love getting into the nitty gritty details of like magic systems. Uh, reading this, this is one of those where I might just say, you know what, I'm just going to trust that it works the way they say it does and, and not like <laughs> double check to make sure every detail lines up. Because you have the type of spike the place that it stabbed, presumably in the victim, as well as the place it's it stabbed in the uh, receiver of the powers. So that's like what, 64 different things a spike can do in hemology or something like that. <laughs> as far as I know, the location in the victim uh, is more just a matter of like, um, I guess like practicality and power. Like when we see when when Marsh goes and makes that spike, uh, he stabs that man in the heart, uh, as that would be the the most concentrated blood related place. Um, but I believe if you're looking at like powers that are are stolen versus granted, uh, I believe it is the uh, the recipient's body that matters. All right, I'll take your word for it. <laughs> <laughs> I have a, I have a question that that is maybe Rayfo we'll see. Um, 
do inquisitors or other hemallergically afflicted individuals need to burn or not need to burn need to uh, replenish their pewter stuff like this we know that spook does a you know a bonus cup of tin every morning but does he also need to <laughs> drink pewter vials i mean yes. he did for like the yeah okay yes he for, for all intents and purposes once you are um hemallergically spiked you have that power and it functions just like if you had gained that power the quote normal way okay so uh alamancers will need to to ingest and burn metal um if you've gotten a a fair chemical power through hemology which they do mention in this epigraph that uh inquisitors have fair chemical healing uh, right. You'd need to have a metal mind, store that attribute, uh, pull it back out just like that. Okay. Although, if you have a spike that's the correct metal, could you just use that as your, your metal mind? Because that's pretty convenient uh, workaround for that. I don't think so for weird investiture reasons, for weird magic Fair reasons. Enough. I don't think that I'll works. take your word for it. Yeah. But yeah, we return to uh, the... Uh, Vin and Elland and their uh, siege party uh, outside the city of Fadrex. Uh, and uh, they've returned from the ball and Set immediately has opinions, which he is going to uh, directly express. He says they shouldn't have gone in. But, uh, uh, ch- chapter 30. Where? What the hell, Set? <laughs> the time to express these reservations was chapter 30. And you didn't. I do Set. think chapter 30 was a lot of we're doing it and you can't stop us, though. Well, okay, but uh, come on. He's got great reasons for it, though, like the, the humanization yeah, no. of, of your yeah. future victims. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's perhaps not the... I mean, it's definitely not the take that Ellen was expecting, uh, but it's, it's one that I think Ellen in particular, Ellen and Vin, would need to, to think quite hard about. Uh, of of seeing these people and getting to know them in some way. And then if there does need to be drastic action, some sort of attack, is that going to make them hesitate? He doesn't hesitate that much, though, because the next plan of action is, should we poison them? <laughs> I read it as like a challenge. Like, hey, kid, if, you, if you're really not affected by that, then poison the wells. I can see that. Yeah. And Ellen, at that suggestion, he does, he takes a pause, gives it a think, uh, and then says very well. Uh, but he does, again, try to temper it uh, and, and says that they are going to, to poison the, the city's water, uh, but they're also going to warn the people. Uh, he does not want, to, he doesn't want to kill them unnecessarily. He just wants to force their hand. And it's a delicate edge there and i don't know if he actually can realistically pull that off or if it's just going to end up like is this going to cause more problems when things fall one way or the other but ellen is going to try yeah i i know brandon had not lived through a covid19 pandemic when he had written this book but uh ellen's people are definitely still going to drink that poison water no matter what you tell them that, that's just gonna happen <laughs> they'll do it despite because you said not to. This note can't tell me what to do. You say it's poison, but I'm going to drink more water now just to show you. 
I got a fucking idea for you. So yeah, and and Set brings this up when uh, when Alan is is starting to organize, you know, raids against the surrounding villages and and territory. Uh, Set says you're you're trying to to sit in the middle here. You're trying to play this halfway, uh, and you will have to to break one way or the other. But Ellen does not yet have to uh, at least talk about a decision on that. And I kind of agree with a set here. And I wonder how differently it would have been a big risk, but I wonder how differently it would have gone if Ellen had shown up with no army. He just walks up to Yeoman and says, hey, can I just look and see what's in the storage cache? I'm not trying to conquer you. I really just I want to see if it's helpful and it might save us all. But the fact that he sets up a siege and then starts to be like diplomatic about it. Yeah, I don't know if that helps his case. And I think Seth is also right that the more you think about whether peace is an option, if it ends up going to the the if it ends up going the other way and you have to fight, it's going to be a lot harder for you. I think he makes a lot of valid points here in this chapter. Yeah. No, it's I I really appreciate that um Brandon set the this, these groups up in the way that he did uh, with Set joining Ellen on this part of it uh, because it does create this this very interesting conflict where Ellen knows that he is becoming more ruthless, more pragmatic in his role as the emperor. Uh, but Set is there to to remind him, you might not be going far enough. These are the things that that I think you have to do. So it's a it's a tricky one. Yeah. Also, I don't know how set uh, how helpful set would have been in Urto. I feel like that's that that would not have ended well. Probably not. <laughs> Probably not. It's not a very not a very accessible city. Hmm. <laughs> no. No. Uh, no ADA in the Final Empire. Yeah. The fucking first thing he does so. is, hey, where's the fucking ramps, guys? <laughs> I know you're executing people. That's fine. I appreciate the ruthlessness of that. But like ramps, <laughs> come on, come on. Yeah, I, I I love the set and Ellen scenes. I think they're just fascinating because set never bullshits around. He just gets right to the point and is trying to force Ellen to confront some things. But it doesn't feel like it's in a like. I mean, he's not the best guy, so it's definitely part of it. But it doesn't feel like it's entirely, I just want this empire to do good because it benefits me. It's kind of like very paternalistic is the best word I can come up with, even though that's kind of fucked up. But it's it it's just good and interesting to read. Yeah, it, well, it's it's kind of a mentor thing. He's almost like he's mentor, like a, yes, a new Tindwill in a way, uh, but kind of. Mm-hmm. Instead of teaching how to be diplomatic, it's teaching how to be, like, running a war. Um, Yeah. And I'm just, I'm very pleasantly surprised. The way the last book ended, I kind of figured we get a couple of scenes where it's set Janarl and Penrod all around a table forming the council. Um, (laughs) And I'm just so pleasantly surprised that set is, like, one of the main crew now. Because I do think he brings this kind of... You know, he's not, like, the most evil character, but he's kind of that token evil teammate trope in a way. And most of the time, when you have that, and the good guys want to do something, and the one kind of morally gray person in the party is like, no, we have to do something more ruthless. It's a lot of times just them being a dick. And here, it's like, 
No, I I fully understand that Seth might kind of be in the right here. He's making some really good points in terms of how how to run this war in the best way possible in the most like strategic way possible. Yeah. Also, did Set poison the wells in Luthadel? Like, are we ever going to get an answer to that? Now, now we know that's like in his wheelhouse of strategies, but we never got the answer to that question. Okay, I'm I'm just going to straight up tell you, we never know. Uh, no. <laughs> Read and don't find out. Yep. Yep. Sorry. That's, Read and suffer. <laughs> that's just going to get left behind. I'm I'm very sorry. Has Brandon ever talked about that? Not that I know of. So there were definitely like three or four scenes where Ellen specifically worried about the wells being poisoned. <laughs> oh, Felt. Poor Felt and his wasted effort. And the poisoner? Yeah, Felt knows somewhere. He's just not <laughs> on screen <laughs> enough to tell us. No one asked. So like, I don't know. It's, I guess I just won't tell anybody. Um, the person who poisoned it? Jasty's Lacall. Jasty's Lacall. It was literally physically him because he didn't have many soldiers to do it for him. It was just Kolos, so he had to go do it himself. Well, we've got questions to ask Brandon next time he comes around. Yeah, most important question of the Cosmere, honestly. So as uh, uh, Set and Elend are having these, uh, these, as we've established, very, very interesting to see uh, conversations here, uh, they're interrupted by an earthquake, which is not great, uh, which apparently are happening more and more frequently. So yeah, this uh, this world not in good shape. No, it's falling to ruin. That perhaps might be the word in question. With those volcanoes, it sure looks like you break up, and looks like the broken skies are the, the ashes breaking up. The sky. Got there. But what Perfect. else happened in this chapter, Justin? What else <laughs> does happen in this chapter? Uh, we talk to Captain Demo, who is uh, mm. has recovered. Or at least is mostly recovered. He's still a, a bit shook up. We get to spend a whole chapter doing the thing you have to do with depressed friends, where you have to convince them that they are, that people do like them. No, Kelsier did like you. Uh, there is, I understand having a crisis of faith, but the idea of, you know, if you don't have enough faith, that's how the mist takes you. It's like, Demo, that is demonstrably not true. <laughs> yeah, of, of anyone this is the most faithful person we have seen. Uh, and not only did, not only did he um, get struck down by the mist, uh, but it took him longer to recover than everyone else. So like that, that doesn't feel great for him. Demo has the thought of, you know, if you don't have enough faith, you shouldn't have command in this army. If you don't, if you don't have trust from the survivor. And I just want Ellen to do like the, sock puppet monkey theme mm -hmm. of like what uh, the survivor didn't like you you shouldn't be in command uh-oh uh-oh but yeah ellen has to uh take the time give this a uh a think over there are options they they have a force of coloss they could just invade the city we saw in luthadel how effective that is uh, but that would leave thousands of people dead there's there's the option of just killing yeoman, which is something they could probably do, uh, but that uh, that that also doesn't feel right to Alan, and it it doesn't really yeah it's a it's a tricky place for him here. I'm just uh oh yeah okay so I guess this is Alan zoning out while they give 
boring daily reports but yes <laughs> but for a second for a second i just thought like oh okay so i didn't think brandon like continued the actual narrative so i just pictured ellen just staring off into space <laughs> while everybody stood there like uh ellen you good sir <laughs> he, he's got a lot on his mind cut him some slack we fake we finally, I, you know, I know it's not top priority, but we finally figured out who poisoned the Wells and Luthadel, and he's just like completely not paying attention what? at all. Yeah. <laughs> Could I kill Yeoman? Does is that an option? Maybe I don't know if that would work. <laughs> Sir. But when he does uh, uh, finish up his uh, his time in his own head and and gets a chance uh, to talk with Demo some more, this is some of what we we brought up where Demo is uh, is is having some concerns of his own in regards to his own faith and his own ability. Uh, and, and yeah, Ellen is trying to, to reassure him to say that, you know, the survivor would support him and that this isn't a, an indication of, of something negative about you. Uh, and Demo does say, but it does seem like an indication of something, right? Uh, which given the, the statistics that Ellen definitely discovered all on his own, uh yeah there there does seem to be something odd you know the the when when the army was exposed to the to the mists uh 16% of them uh fell sick and then we we learn that yeah there were some people who who stayed sick longer uh and it turns out that it was exactly 1/16th and that they stayed the the ones who who did not die then uh recovered sixteen days later, so this is awfully weird it is weird, huh uh, just because someone's gonna correct you, Justin, I have to clarify one sixteenth is not sixteen percent those are those are separate integers. they they use both of them it is sixteen percent of the original army, yeah, and then of that oh group, okay, yeah, one sixteenth of them right. stayed more sick, my bad, yeah, fair enough. Yeah, it is in terms of the the numbers here. It is funny that they we stayed sick exactly sixteen days to the hour. At the beginning of the chapter, it was directly clarified. Demo is still looking sick and it is still recovering. Yeah. It's not like it was an off switch. <laughs> yeah, but I guess if you are uh, if you're already looking for that pattern, which it's clear as we continue, Demo is he can he can pull out a number of examples of significant. 16s in the mythology of the survivor uh it would definitely be on your mind listen i know elland has a lot on his mind right now and he's trying to cut through some of the cruft to focus on his philosophizing there's only to so many times you can say coincidence in a row before you have to look up and realize that you're the protagonist in a fantasy novel <laughs> yeah yeah, and you can definitely, you can, I feel like you can see him start to be like, oh shit, oh no, there's, there's something to this. Co coincidence. <laughs> definitely coincidence. That being said, some of them are actual coincidences, because one of them listed is <laughs> how old Lady Vin was when she became Mistborn. That's blatantly untrue. She was a Mistborn for most of her <laughs> life, just didn't discover it until she was 16. Yeah, that's fair. That is fair. Ellen is just like, coincidence, coincidence. Okay, no, actually, actually, that, that one's one real. is coincidence. <laughs> that one's actually, yeah. you're wrong there. I got, I'm confident in that one. The rest of them, coincidence! <laughs> but yeah, the the thing that Demo has has come to believe 
uh, is that the way that the mists are acting are an action of the survivor and the ones who died and the ones who are are were sick further are being punished and that he has has done something wrong his faith wasn't strong enough something like that it's interesting that ellen hypothesizes that it's the exact opposite of what demo thinks that this is a a, a mark of of acknowledgement or yeah well that yeah that the people who were afflicted for so long with the sickness were the most extreme believers like no, Demo, it's literally the opposite of what you think it is. <laughs> There's I, I even love the moment of, you know, um you know, some people even died from it, Demo, and Demo goes, You're right, at least I didn't die, so I can't be that bad. And Ellen flat out is like, I, that wasn't meant to be like a pep that was not yeah. I've been giving you a pep talk, that was not part of it. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> and then there's uh there's more it is very strange from a, a mostly all-knowing readers perspective the the mythology of the church of the survivor uh and how much of it is known in world uh, because demo brings up that uh the you know the, the survivor appeared to people that night uh and ellen says that that was a chandra like we know that this was part of the plan we've seen the the notes that kelsier left uh, and Nemo says, yes, I know, but also he, Kelsier did not plan for me to be visited. So there, there was something that he was thinking of there. It's, I find it very strange how we've seen like the entire growth of this new religion and what we know is and isn't true. It's, it's fascinating. And then shouting. Duh. Yeah. And then, uh, <laughs> at, at the end of, of demo's uh questioning when ellen finally does say i need you to get things together i need your you know your, your support and talent in this army we don't have time for this right now uh they have a few moments to to think about that and then they get attacked yeah the line i mean this in the kindest way but your self-pity is getting in the way I've seen so many, this is probably not the kindest thing to say if someone is like actually going through something like this in real life, but I've seen so many like fictional characters go through the blue screen of death of not knowing how to continue <laughs> forward. And I feel like a lot of those characters need to hear that specific line a lot. Yeah. So I'm, I'm amused by Brandon's annotation for the, the end of chapter 36 into the beginning of 37. Uh, we'll get to our epigraph in a second uh, where, where he says, uh, there's an old adage in writing uh, if things feel slow, have the protagonists get attacked. Uh, and then wonders uh, how that would apply to uh, more literary fiction and if that could still work. Uh, and then the the editor who was transcribing these annotations and putting them online uh, suggested that perhaps the, the book Pride and Prejudice and Zombies is what happens in literary fiction if you just allow the protagonist to get attacked to move the story along. <laughs> Uh, yeah, that is uh, Matt Colville's philosophy of story writing of if a scene's boring, have a character pull out a gun and put it on the table. Mm -hmm. And then you get to figure <laughs> out why Why does he have a gun? Why did he put it on the table? Is he going to shoot someone or is he trying to like show his trust in someone? Who knows? But it sure made the scene more interesting. The, uh, <laughs> the version of it that they use in uh, the National Novel Writing Month uh, competition, question mark, 
which Brandon is a big fan of, um, is uh, if you don't know where to go next, have ninjas burst into the scene and attack. Uh, because you can get at least two or three thousand words out of everybody going ninjas. Where the hell did they come from? <laughs> and then if you defeat them easily, then you can have the hit line more like a ninja. You can never find a good ninja these days. That's a line from the hit film Speed Racer, directed by the Wachowskis. Of course it is. <laughs> Delivered by John Goodman. <laughs> what a world we live in. This has been our hot writing tip section. There's always another podcast. Remember to like, comment, and subscribe. For more Speed Racer content. And ding the bell. Which is definitely a thing that exists on sites that we are on. So, as a brief pause before we get to the attack that is occurring, uh, we have more uh, musings on how hemology works and the way that its, uh, its powers either add to or or supplement existing powers for someone uh, and they they note that um, one of the reasons why uh, seekers were were favored recruits for the inquisitors which we did know uh, was that uh, the enhanced bronze uh, was a very good way to find other mistings why would you bother wasting a Mistborn on being an Inquisitor? That's my question. Like, if you can just imbue all those powers into a Misting, then... I don't know. I guess it's a different purpose entirely for, like, a Mistborn versus an Inquisitor. Maybe Ruin just wants the most powerful people on his team or not on the other team. I don't know where I'm going with this. I don't know if we've ever... You know, the epigraph mentions it, but... Unless I'm forgetting something. I don't know if we've ever definitively had an Inquisitor who was originally a Mistborn. Um, not by indication, at least, yeah. Yeah, and the closest I think we've gotten would be Zane, who only had the one spike. Um, so I think it I, I think it actually Ruin probably agrees with you here of, yeah, we don't have to go all in on that. I mean, just, you know, put in a spike if it's useful, but we don't have to make a full Inquisitor out of anybody if they're already a Mistborn. Yeah, we'll have to see what more we can learn about hemology, and hopefully we learn it in a way that doesn't involve, you know, people that we like getting killed and or spiked. Yeah, just throwing things out there. It's not going to happen, I'm sure. It's going to happen to Set. Uh -huh. Oh no. <laughs> the, the first crippled Inquisitor. He needs a team of people to assist him, and I don't know. Maybe he he by by that point he can just steal steal push around. It'll be fine. There you go. I hope it's I, I hope it's Neorndin. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, justice for Neorndin. <laughs> Hashtag. <laughs> also, a a very brief look ahead into the very far future. Uh, we do actually later in the Cosmere we do have a character who is physically disabled. And ends up using uh, magical assistance to move around, and it's pretty cool. So, looking forward to that. But it's way later. Yeah. Yes, he's great. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So we are uh, returning right to the the moment of the attack, uh, but from Vin's perspective here, uh, she had uh, almost managed to fall asleep uh, after having a, a busy night, uh, but is now going to go fight some more, which is great for her physically. I'm sure. <laughs> and this is uh, 
in one sense, this is a pretty one-sided fight. There is uh, Vin plus a uh, an army of Kolos uh, against what is mostly just a a well-trained, well-stocked fighting force from uh, the city of Fadrax. Uh, and so it is, uh, it is, you know, there, there's excitement in the battle. Uh, Vin notes that they are definitely uh, well prepared to fight against Alamancers with the, the equipment and the, and the plans that they have. Uh, but Vin does have the, the ability and the power to, to, take this fight in a pretty definitive manner a lot of a lot of tent strategy in this one i'll throw tents around <laughs> yeah you take what you got i feel like every now and then brandon will just pick a fun object and be like we're gonna do some alamancy with this yeah like why not? one of the first <laughs> misboard fights we saw was just kelsier going ham with a paperweight mm-hmm, i think yeah. we got it with a belt buckle one time now we're doing some tentography i'm a fan but uh, later in this fight, we have a, a bit of a, a twist uh, as there is uh, another uh, Alamancer that Vin is, is distracted by needing uh, to fight off. Uh, there, there's someone uh, she, can, she can sense with her bronze. There's someone out there uh, that she gives chase. Uh, and it uh it doesn't quite go how she expected uh because she she makes this chase uh with the the aid of of her um her bronze she can follow this other alamancer around uh and then they just kind of vanish uh and she is unable to track them down which is is definitely uncomfortable for her uh and then realizes that this was if, if if there was an Alamancer that needed fighting off, she didn't need to have to do this. Uh, but she's also been taken out of the fight by following them, and so rushes back to, to the battle to hope that nothing has gone wrong. Uh, and something has gone wrong, though not quite uh, what was expected, in that uh, Elland and his army have lost some of their Kolos. Half of them. That's a pretty significant 16%, sum. Sixteen percent, no. Sixteen um, percent. A very also important note that uh, I unfortunately lost track of exactly where it happened. But at one point, someone in this chapter stumbles maladroitly. There you go. It is Vin on page three hundred and forty-four. She pulled herself down from her duralumen push to land maladroitly atop a nearby roof. Boom. Vin being We're maladroit? <laughs> it must be intense. Yeah. But she's the adroit one. What? <laughs> That's our, our new character dichotomy. We need to judge everyone by whether they are adroit or maladroit. <laughs> A sliding scale of adroitness. <laughs> so yeah, it, as, it, as it turns out, uh, what had happened uh, was that, that Yeoman had staged a significant uh siege equipment force uh and uh the the attack on the camp in some way the entire attack was was the distraction uh so that the the coloss force uh could be could be attacked and the the tricky part about the way that this works the the way that that vin elland are uh maintaining this coloss force is that 
when uh, when they come under direct attack, that many of them with that significant of, a, of an action, uh, they start to fight amongst themselves, and Ellen was unable to maintain control of them, and they have now lost half of their main siege force. Ellen notes that losing control of the Coloss is a dangerous precedent, and I would agree. Yeah, not uh, not great. Hope that doesn't happen during a uh, a moment when you are particularly reliant on them. I also, I know it's just a piece of burned wood It's not going to cause an avalanche But Vin kicks more stuff down the plateau And it's like, you could set off a chain reaction And you still have the Coloss down there Like, could, should you, we should probably not be kicking things off of the plateau right now Yeah, you know, just in case <laughs> Well, we lost about 25% Kick <laughs> Alright, it's about 50% now, sorry about that <laughs> So, the, uh, the, the two things that, that they wrap up as they are trying to figure out uh, what to go next from here. Uh, one, Vin brings up the fact that there is an enemy Mistborn uh, that they have to to deal with. Uh, and two is that uh, Ellen and Vin divide up control of the Coloss that they are they're maintaining to try to to stop this from happening again. There's also one other minor detail in this section that I love, which is uh, Ham, I think, was one of the largest or longest um, kind of holding to, to saying, oh, Lord Ruler this, Lord Ruler that, in terms of like, in the same way you would say, oh, my God. And on, on 347, he says, the survivor only knows where he got enough grain. So he has officially switched over, even if he doesn't believe in the, the church of the survivor, he's officially switched vernacular to refer to the survivor in that way which i thought was a fun detail that is a uh, that is a good catch i i like to see the way that those things shift yeah so uh when vin is going to uh to go to uh take control of the uh the coloss she's also going to go to their camp uh, which means we are reunited with a uh, human who is going to give us more disturbing things to think about, as he is apparently very good at. <laughs> it's vaguely sad from from human's perspective. I mean, it's very like creepy and, and screwed up just on the whole, but it's interesting to see human quote-unquote grieve. <laughs> they are dead. That's, that's one word for it. <laughs> yeah, it, like, it's weird-looking and, and disturbing, but like... there are things being processed here and we can see that even if it does look very strange we are fewer we have too many swords (laughs) no such thing (laughs) but yeah so vin is uh is trying to take this opportunity to uh figure out something about the coloss which is where more coloss come from which is still very unknown though we're uh we're gonna learn pretty soon and uh yeah it's uh i mean that's basically the next thing that happens is uh human retrieves a uh a corpse uh, a corpse of a coloss first uh and then goes to find the corpse of a person a human takes some some spikes out of the uh the dead coloss uh takes the uh the the skin and before Vin stops him, it's pretty clear is is going to 
spike this skin to this this dead body or this this wounded body excuse me yeah he's still alive he's still alive <laughs> and uh yeah uh, is human Ugh. it's the fact that he the large beast said quietly to end the chapter that i think really drives home kind of the tragedy of it all of like whatever we still don't know exactly what the deal with the coloss is in terms of like the mechanics but like the kind of reveal that yeah they kind of are you know, you know we've been kind of wondering are they like zombies what's the deal with them and the answer is sort of but they also still can think <laughs> and it kind of sucks for them they're not in a good place themselves um i also just find it funny like this happened with tensoon this happened in luthado with the coloss Vin, how many times are you going to be surprised when you use mental allomancy on a creature and they do something weird? Like, Yeah, maybe just <laughs> stop doing that. Yeah. Stop making those sounds. <laughs> but how else are you going to make them reveal their deepest secrets in spite of their own reservations? I can't. It's not right. Do it. <laughs> do it, human. Yeah, I'm gonna going to have to say for Vin, not a great look there do it and then stop why would you do that yeah hang on like I, i'm especially sympathetic to human because he's like what you told me to what what's the problem um one more like thought to kind of end this chapter is you know ellen has made this choice to do a siege and i do love this kind of reveal is the is is perhaps not the best word but after this ambush sets words feel like they have a lot more weight of yeah, this wouldn't have happened if you had just stormed the city, but since you're trying to do this half-and-half half tactic, they are going to react accordingly, and things might go wrong. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Yeoman's clever. He uh, He's not just going to sit there. Unfortunately, though, we are going to have to, to come back to Fadrex later, uh, because we have, uh, we're heading back to Urto, and then uh, to check in on Tensoon before our section ends... Uh, and we will have to uh, to figure out later what the consequence of one uh, this this siege and the loss that that Ellen's forces have suffered, and two, uh, what does this change now that Vin knows a little bit more about the Coloss? Because those are those are two very big things. In between, before we uh, hit chapter thirty-eight, uh, we have some more hemolurgy is weird uh and this i i think is also going to have to go into the uh okay we'll figure out what that means later category yeah i'll take your word for it because it's it's talking about what happens if you just spike someone who doesn't have alimantic or ferrochemical powers and it uh it apparently it takes some very small bit of the power of preservation itself uh and that residual ability in this case is uh, sentience. Yeah. Uh, it, it tracks with um, Tensoon saying that Kandra are of preservation, which I guess is accurate here, directly stated. Yeah, that's, uh, that is definitely something that can be uh, interpreted in new light here. I do have a question. What is emotional fortitude? Is that just you can like <laughs> you can you can process a lot really well? 
It's, it's called the blessing of stability. So I assume it means like you will not get anxiety if you have the blessing of stability, which would be nice. <laughs> I was going to say, I feel like I was oh, gonna say. <laughs> we could all use some of that sometimes. <laughs> so for chapter 38 itself, uh, we, we return to her toe. We, we return to spook can just kind of see right through the mist, which is a, a very different experience than, than most people. He actually gets to see the stars. Yay, it was a beauty only he could see. You're not the only person only with Tim in the final me. empire, buddy. <laughs> I'm the only one. Stars are just for me. I call that constellation the Spook constellation. <laughs> and that in one fact, over there, also the Spook. Also the Spook constellation. <laughs> <laughs> Who's going to correct me? No one else can see it, just me. Spook. <laughs> So he uh, he has some thoughts on the uh, the kind of elementic balance of uh, tin and pewter, uh, which we we've seen on the chart are paired up as kind of opposites, uh, and he thinks that this kind of feels right in that way to to now have this this balance of powers. Uh, though also does note that you know maybe he could get iron and steel too. That'd be kind of cool. Maybe? Can, can you help me out? Ow, ow, I got stabbed. Oh, but Kelsier also just happens to give me two more powers at the same time. That's super cool. <laughs> he has this thought of like, could he perhaps grant me iron and steel as well? And immediately just gets stabbed. <laughs> so there are, there are preparations being made uh, for... Uh, Spook is thinking about the the rescue that he's apparently going to have to mount. Um, but right now there's there's just work being done, uh, and the city is is just kind of continuing along. But what they have done uh, is they have they have gone through the the wreckage of the building that Spook was in, and they have found some skulls, and they get counted. They count the skulls. Ugh. So, this is the building that he was in, right? Ten people went in. Nine people have skulls in there. Uh, would the tenth person not just be you, Spook? Is it ten people excluding you? I don't think this is the building he was in. I think he was the only one in his oh. building. Yeah, I th I I misspoke there. I think this was this was the first one that he saw burned oh oh okay uh yeah the, the one that he watched yeah because there were there were the 10 people there who were were staged to be executed uh and yet there are only nine skulls which i still don't if the implication is just people some people sometimes find a way out how did Dern know that one person was like what if none of those 10 people happens to find the escape and Dern was like count the skulls and then spook counts the skulls like yeah there's 10 of them awesome ten. thanks man <laughs> yeah so because of that like if that is the thing we're supposed to be interpreting i don't it still doesn't quite line up so i still don't know what the deal with the skulls is i'm i'm reserving thoughts until i get a more detailed explanation because yeah, this is still weird to me. I also like it feels like it's lamp like lampshade hanging. Like, Spook had never had the chance to investigate that tip. <laughs> it had been a hundred pages. <laughs> okay, I'm going to 
shift some blame from me onto Brandon by way of the annotations. Ah, <laughs> uh, uh, I see. You got special insight. Yes, uh, because he he mentions that uh, in the 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 desire to keep everything strictly chronological, uh, he had to move some of Spook's scenes further apart than he originally planned. Uh, mm. and then needed to add other things in in the meantime. Uh, so he this was a this annotation is is mostly about uh, the fact that it takes Spook a little bit to get back to Dern and figure out what the the deal with the rumors being spread is. Uh, but he also says, uh, the Count the Skulls thing is coming up too. I haven't forgotten it. Unfortunately, it suffered from this same issue. Fair enough. <laughs> I thought it was going to be a metaphorical counting. <laughs> or like a metaphorical philosophical counting, counting. or metaphorical skulls? <laughs> Maybe both. I don't know. Like, I don't know. Count the bones. And he goes and he gathers all the bones and lays them out like an archaeologist. <laughs> there's only nine complete corpses here and the conjurers show up and they're like thank you for this gift and turn was just like good job you got them on your side by picking up all the bones because we all know the bones are their money <laughs> the bones are their money also the worms anyway 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 I think you should leave is a very good show but back to the book <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, um, yeah, we we will have to figure out uh, what the the implications of this is that somebody did escape, but how and who and why and etc. Uh, and hopefully we we get a uh, a result there. Uh, but in the meantime, we're actually going to uh, flip over to uh, the other two members of Kelsier's old crew who are here, and we see. Sazed and uh, and Breeze having a chat. There's even a weird. Maybe this is just this is just my addition. But there's even a, usually when there's like a a scene break at the end or beginning of a page, there are a couple of like asterisks to indicate that. Yes, and there aren't any in mine, so it's like it it seems like Spook is like there's a way to get your sister out, and then Sazed and Breeze are also just standing right next to them. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Spook. Yeah, mine is the same. I think it's because it's at at the page break, and it'd be kind of weird to start or end it. But, but yeah, I was I was very confused. I had to flip between the pages a couple times to to verify that. Oh yeah, Sason and Breeze are not over Spook's shoulder right now. <laughs> They're just watching him sift through piles of bones, just standing there sipping wine. Absolutely in character for Breeze. Yeah. Yes, that is true. But yeah, our first, one of the first thoughts is Sazed saying, this is very strange to me, Ska having their own bars is odd enough. Which, I suppose that might be in comparison to how the Final Empire used to run things, but like, there are only Ska in Urto. Who else is going to be at the bars? (laughs) Yeah, I think it might be that Ska are running it. Because I don't know if that was a thing in... uh... In, in the final empire but yeah it is uh we'll see what uh what they think of urto and its kelsier influenced revolution they do note that um uh for 
uh, at, at this point now for both of them their their anonymity is uh, is pretty well gone uh breeze did manage to uh, to keep things uh, on the down low for a little bit but at this point it it's now a moot point uh and that sazed is uh, pretty recognizable regardless there are probably aren't a lot of of terrace here he was too tall and too bald what does too bald mean <laughs> <laughs> I think Bran just wanted to rhyme. Too tall and too ball. Duh. Duh. Damn oh, it. I just, had, I just had a thought. That's. <sighs> yeah, I'll say it. Too tall, too bald, no ball. Oh. oh look, I warned you going in it wasn't going to be good. <laughs> I, 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 I apologize for that, but I, the brain sometimes comes up with things and, and you just say them. We're like too tall and not too bald. Depending on how you spell two in this case and bald <laughs> what else is going on in the to the bar here yeah let's let's try to <laughs> save this mess uh what's what's going on is uh that there are uh rumors being spread about this uh this new uh this new survivor the uh the survivor of the flames mm. And Breeze and Sazed are like, who? Who is that? Who could that be? Which I'd very much like to meet him. I I know I know Spook's not telling them anything, but Spook is walking around in his burnt clothes. That's been heavily established. Yeah, perhaps they have. Uh, they've been splitting up their their duties, and uh, Spook's been keeping it a little hidden. I don't know. He yeah. he does like the drama. I don't know how long he would be able to keep it hidden. <laughs> He does love the drama, and I can't deny Survivor of the Flames is really badass. That's a really good title. <laughs> it is. I like the uh, the note that when uh, when Sazed hears this this new tidbit, he's trying to to puzzle it out, uh, and Breeze can like can see him like ready to ask, and he's like, "Just just ask. I know you want to know. You're you're gonna hurt yourself if you don't." <laughs> We wanted to talk to you because terracemen never lie. Here, go to this well. It's right there. I circled it on your map. Now, quick, go, leave. So yeah, we we learned that there, uh, the the next set of executions are apparently scheduled for tomorrow near the market pit, uh, and that the survivor of the flames will be there. Got a time? <laughs> Just not be there all day. <laughs> <laughs> just, just sit there grab a seat you know chill out when i go to wrigley i like to go you know whether it's a day game or a night game i show up at 10 a.m just in case just in in case of baseball game breaks out. <laughs> yeah no they, they, do. Case of base- they absolutely do i don't blame them I, I would love to catch bp sometime to date i have not rewinding just a, a tad i feel like breeze is starting to get hit with the wharf effect which is a trope where in Star Trek you had your like big brawler wharf and in order to show how dangerous your enemy is it's like he can even defeat wharf in battle but that just meant that wharf got the shit beaten out of him all the time a lot of people that that could just beat up wharf exactly everyone and their mother knows that Breeze is a soother (laughs) everyone is able to catch that he's toying with their emotions but at the same time, they're like, he's the best soother alive. But it's getting to the point where 
I could see where it was probably more on reputation than on his, like, allomantic acumen, but even these rando ska in this bar are like, we don't want to talk to the soother. And Breeze is like, wait, hang on. Yeah. <laughs> I'm really excited for the chapter when a barrel falls over and a note falls out that says, I know you're a soother, Breeze. A blue barrel. That's in reference, uh, of course, to the time when Worf did get defeated by a barrel that fell over. <laughs> There's just a regular ass barrel. It wasn't even like a. <laughs> it was like a store liquid in this barrel, like a modern blue barrel. <laughs> F- fucking hell! I I hated that. <laughs> Worf was like the weakest character. I never bought Klingons as being badass because I never I didn't see the original series because I thought it was boring. But I watched all of TNG. <laughs> And I was like, wow, the Klingons kind of suck, huh? <laughs> and that's not the impression you're supposed to leave with. So, anyway. Anyways, by the end of the book, anyway. I hope all of, the, all of Kelsier's buddies get their own titles. And Hams, of course, will be survivor of the plot. <laughs> survivor. Just survivor. Just the big one. <laughs> all right. Uh, one more chapter before we wrap up this section. Uh, I feel like the way that that things line up, we we end with Tensoon chapters more often than I thought, and I do not remember doing that on purpose when I broke this section up. But that's the the way it'll be. <laughs> uh, our our annotation, uh, I know overall the the annotations in Hero of Ages have been more informative and more helpful than we've come to expect, uh, and I suppose this one is as well because it is a straight up admission of not knowing. Uh, but this one it is probably the the most vague that we've gotten so far. Uh, our our writer uh, knows that there is something large out there, but cannot get any details about it uh, besides the name Adonalcium. Besides the name Thanos. It's the most Lovecraftian <laughs> shit I've ever seen. And uh, perhaps unsurprisingly, this is going to be a uh, an all capital letters Rafo here. Yeah, I, I figured this was a, uh, you know, this book was promised to answer all of the questions introduced. But uh, here we are. And I, I could just feel that that one's going to be a, a wider picture one. Yeah. All of the questions, again, posed by the first two volumes. Correct. You're right. All You're bets right. are off for this bad boy. <laughs> I just want, like, I want the annotations to say, like, here's a link to my next book. Because <laughs> I feel like this isn't going to pay off in this book. Yeah, I guess we'll no, see. absolutely not. So checking in with Tensoon, uh, he, has, uh, he has made it back to uh, what he hoped would be, uh, you know, the, the Final Empire proper. Uh, and yet it does not, it, it looks significantly worse than when he returned to the homeland. Uh, and that is, uh, that's not a good sign. Mm. The end of all things is at hand. He has the thought that if the contract were still concrete, it would require great sacrifices of them. Yeah, Tensoon, depending on which clause of the contract, might be some big sacrifices, yeah. <laughs> Perhaps. Yeah, that's uh, that's significant. But yeah, he is he is beginning a a journey here, uh, through the the slowly being destroyed final empire, 
he he has traveled to a, a particular place that he had he had stopped at before he returned to the the Condra homeland, and what he finds there uh, is a a Condra blessing. Uh, in this case, the uh, the blessing of potency, which are the two spikes from Orser's body, oh, which he buried. Which he did, which he hid away here. He has now recovered. Uh, he has taken them uh, for himself. He does this in a weird Chandra Cronenberg way of instead of actually piercing them into himself, he just forms his body around them so that it becomes pierced, which is a, a neat trick. But now he has both the blessing of presence and potency. Four spikes. He's so powerful now. He can run fast and he can... What does presence do again? <laughs> it, it is pewter-like. Uh, he, he notes that it is it is somewhat good. like alimentic pewter, though it doesn't have the kind of uh, like infinite scaling if you have more pewter to burn. That's, I was that's more talking potency, about right? presence. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, sorry. I was, sorry. I was querying about presence i don't know it makes him think good he can think good and he can run fast stability is emotional so that's probably the brass zinc lineup um awareness and presence he has presence and awareness is the fourth one so i'm guessing i don't know i don't know man (laughs) he's just mindful he's mindful and strong I mean, we got the we got the information. I was going to say informative, and then I couldn't think of a noun to go with it, so that's why I said that like that. Um, we got the information that when he was being tortured, he was like, "Because I have presence, I'm never going to go insane," which honestly kind of makes this worse. Um, but uh, I believe that was that was one little tidbit we got about presence. Mm-hmm. Or wait, was that awareness? God damn it! That was presence. Okay, okay. You'd think awareness would be the one where you don't go insane and you you stay aware but i don't know i don't know anymore awareness is tied to tin that's what it is beth is being affected by the hit band train right now beth is is being hit by a train uh yeah the epigraph of 38 the blessing of presence grants mental capacity in a similar way while the blessing of awareness is the ability to sense with greater acuity and the rarely used blessing of stability is emotional fortitude so I, I I think all the information we have about presence is just think good. <laughs> yeah. Big brain time. Yeah. <laughs> so the uh the conclusion that that Tensoon draws uh and I do uh, I like this that uh the first contract uh we learn a thing here that it's very clear about uh other than that the Chandra all need to kill themselves. Uh, which is that when when Ruin returns and the end times are here, uh, the Chandra need to uh, go seek out the Lord Ruler and serve him. Uh, but he is dead, and so Tensoon has decided that uh, he needs to go find Vin. And I support his plan on this. I also yeah. support this plan. Um yeah, and I, I don't know if this is our first absolute confirmation that the Contra know what Ruin is. Uh, Tensoon's been talking a lot about, like, the times are here, we've heard a lot about the things that are happening out there, but I don't know if the word Ruin has ever been used by the Contra up until now. So that's 
new insight that they do know a little bit more about the world here and what's exactly going on. Um, I am, I'm very excited. I'm curious how he's going to find Vin because he, his first stop should be Luthadel and that's quite a long ways away. If depending on how much information he has, I would assume that's where he would look first. Yeah. He has unfortunately missed some significant developments in his time, uh, in his imprisonment. Hmm. But yeah, that is, uh, that is where we wrap up. Uh, we've had uh, some things be set in motion in both Fadrix and Urto, uh, with the the attack on the on Ellen's forces, uh, with the the preparations for another execution in Urto, uh, and then we have seen uh, both Marsh and Tensoon, uh, and the goings on kind of across the the wider uh, area of Skadriel. And that is, uh, that's where our section wraps up today. So I don't think we had a single new uh, casting appearance aside from the nobleman who got murdered. I've got one. Okay. We got Franson. We got Franson. We do, we do have Franson. Yes, we do. So uh, did either of you have a casting for the nobleman who got murdered? <laughs> nobleman got murdered? The the one the who Marsh, Marsh killed uh, spiked. Oh, dead spike nobleman. Uh, no, he didn't even have any lines. So I okay, did not. Uh... Then uh, let's add uh, Franson to the list. <laughs> Caleb, go ahead. Okay, yeah. Um, much like the the whole language bit, um, I meant to come up with casting for Franson and then forgot to. But throughout the episode, I brainstormed and came up with one. Um, I think I'm going to put Zach Cherry in the role. Um, he uh, is uh, not super well known, but he's been in some big things. He had a very funny role in Succession, and he is fairly famous um, for Hey Spider-Man, do a flip in Spider-Man Homecoming. Um, nice. As well as apparently moving to San Francisco to play the same character in Shang-Chi. He is on the bus and is the one uh, recording the fight on his phone and giving like commentary over it. Um, <laughs> so he usually does comedic uh, roles, but you know, he's, I, I don't, I think he'd be good at this too. Damn it. I was hoping it was going to be a joke because mine's a joke. I think that's allowed. We, we, we've had times when, uh, there have been splits on the, the seriousness of, of a casting role. <laughs> so my Franson is Peter Frampton because the names are similar. Fair enough. I hoped that was the only reason. <laughs> that's it. Peter Frampton. Okay. He's going to come alive. You'll see. Peter Frampton, knock on wood, uh, as of time of recording, still alive. So Don't don't put that into the world. We can't be responsible for that. <laughs> anyway. All right. Uh, yeah, just a, a, a small uh, check in there on the cast list. I think we're at the point now, I'm, I'm thinking forward through the book, there are going to be very few additions to this list but that means that we can uh we can try to figure out what's coming up next because i i will name it here it is time for the the interesting segment yay interesting well let's do it uh i have a question i I have two questions uh one of them is not super important but i'm curious and the other one who poisoned um, i think is a good (laughs) <laughs> well uh, always uh but, but one of them uh 
just a, a neat little thing that I don't think we we discussed in the in the bit, but I wrote as a as a question to put. Um, I was trying to think of a good example of this. We all know an example of this. Uh, my brain failed me. Uh, you know that that trope where there's the big bad enemy, and then you turn them and they become your friend and then they suck. Yes, I was just reading a thing about this. Yeah. So is set has set fallen victim to that? I don't think he has, but I'm just curious of people's take on that. I don't. I, I you know he came to Luthadel with an army, and then he kind of has. The, I assume a lot of Ellen soldiers are made from that army. So, and he's still kind of the same tactical brain that he had in in Wilpesedge. And so, I don't know. I don't think he's been nerfed necessarily. I feel like he's still the same set we knew in Well of Ascension. Yeah, yeah. I, I think the. Uh the circumstances of the world have changed significantly enough that uh, the the level of impact that he personally could provide is is perhaps uh, a little bit mismatched with the world now. Uh, but I, I, I definitely understand and dislike that thing when it happens, but I don't know if that's <laughs> quite what has, uh, has happened here. Beth, do you have a thought? Yeah, I'm kind of in Justin's boat where the stakes of the world are such that set has a he's less able to make a big impact i i talked about this a little bit when we were talking about ellen's being an alamancer and about how we we love our normies in this house but we're facing the apocalypse right now so the the scaling can get a little bit strange there um so less effective but not necessarily nerfed i guess is how i see it the bad guys yeah. got buffed is what it was yes yeah. that's it <laughs> all right i'm good with that as an explanation i just wanted to check in because i think it's an interesting question to pose for sure um, vibe check vibe check vibe check everybody uh <laughs> and, and my second question where the where's general we're going to hear from him again? Good question. <laughs> He's chilling. He's having some tea. Having some tea. But we'll we'll see Gennaro, I'm sure. No, I, I put that on the, the questions sheet. It just says, where Gennaro? Where is he? <laughs> the last time I asked where somebody is, it summoned them. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> now is... he's going to show up next chapter. Oh, yeah, we're going <laughs> to hey turn guys. the page. Gennaro entered the bar. Hey, guys, what's up? Oh, hey, Gennaro. Hey, I was just okay, watching you count some skulls. It was weird. <laughs> okay, and then diving into predictions. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't have a ton. I did a lot last time, so I don't have a ton this time. Uh, Marsh killed the smoker, like I said, uh, to steal his power before the town was destroyed, just to gather as much as possible. Um, well, ruin ruins the world. So, go, way to go, Marsh. Uh, anyway, there you go. Uh, the ambush against the Coloss. Um, sure seems to me... Here's my, my larger theory here. Uh, the earthquake wasn't an earthquake. Um, I okay. think it was bombs. Because uh, we, we, we brought up the gunpowder. We forgot about the gunpowder. How do you kill 10,000 Coloss in like 10 minutes if not with bombs and shit? That seems like a tall lift for, for anything. You know, you, you fling down like flaming, what, flaming like chunks of wood or something? 
it's not going to have the same effect as like a bomb. I, I so. think they they catapulted down a bunch of large rocks that just crushed the coloss, and then they burnt the equipment so it couldn't be used against them, and that's what the burnt wood was. Yeah, still in all, I mean, you could catapult bombs. That's, bombs, bombs. That's fair. That's fair. Um. So regardless, I think even if it wasn't bombs, I think the earthquake was the attack on the coloss. Okay. Because um, it happened immediately preceding the attack on the camp. So, interesting timing. Um, I think that it would be weird if the Alamancer Vin chased was not someone we've met already. Um, I think it's somebody that they met at the party. Uh, just because there's no clues as to one way or the other yet, I'm just going to have fun and say it was Teldon. Why not? Okay. Give Teldon a thing to to scout out. Um, let's see. Uh, Sazed's obviously going to meet Spook. Connect the dots that he's the survivor of the flames. Um, you know, obviously. Uh, and I think that I, I still feel the syncretic idea here of like, uh, Sazed will eventually just merge religions into one cohesive, what's the word, uh, cosmological perspective of the world. Um, but. Yeah, he's <laughs> for the moment he's just gonna meet meet Spook and sees the survivor of the flames, and hopefully not distract Spook while he's doing whatever he's gonna do. <laughs> uh, <laughs> like, oh hey, Sazed, ah, <laughs> he was actively stabbed again. Careful with your timing there. Ah, oh, I've been stabbed two more times. Hey, I have iron steel now. <laughs> yeah, maybe that's a good thing. Who knows? Um, and then uh, last bit, like I said, Adonalsium. That's a thing that we're going to learn later. Um, the Eum implies something elemental. You know, Obviously, they don't have the same root words in Skadriel. But I like to pretend that this was translated into English. So they translated into something relevant. Something that, that matches the, the context. Right. So I, I'm sort of getting like Tesseract vibes. Um, if this is fantasy's MCU and we're trying to bridge the gap between this and other books, uh, I think Adonalsium is the way that that's going to happen. So, okay. That's it for me. All right. Well, I can tell you somewhat expectedly so that one of those we will uh, have some time before we figure it out. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. All right. Uh, Caleb, what was, uh, what was your read on this section? All right, I want to start by saying I did not have any guesses on who the Mistborn is. I did not come up with this theory. This is still fully Sam's theory. But after the call shot of Jastes, I just, I'm just going to assume that's true, that it's Telden. That just feels like it's going to be <laughs> true now. Yeah. Um, uh, but yeah, um, last episode, um, Sam had some like kind of big brain predictions about the overall plot, and mine were more specific. Mm -hmm. um this time around i'm gonna try and try and have some called shots in terms of the narrative overall um but as usual this is going to be in a very random order so i might not get to that for a minute um <laughs> the first thing i i want to analyze is the mists and who they're affecting um we did get an abograph saying that the mists start to like draw away from anyone who can fall under ruin's influence too much so it would make sense that the mists actually do swarm around people who are faithful to the survivor of the mists like demo um 
why it's killing them and making them sick, I don't know. I still I still don't understand why, if you're going to... We'll get back to the mists a little bit, but in terms of why specifically choose those people and then kill them, um, I, don't, I don't know why that, when you could instead kill people who would fall under Ruin's influence. I don't know. Um, another big theory... Um, it sure does set a dangerous precedent that uh, you can lose control of the Coloss. Ruin's absolutely going to take control of all of Ellen's Coloss at some point. Um, I decided <laughs> I'm definitely seeing that happening. It would be maybe fun and interesting and weirdly heartwarming if perhaps um, Human does not get controlled and mm. he's like the one Coloss remaining. Um, but yeah, that army of Coloss definitely is not going to be on Ellen's side for for forever. Um, and then I have a couple of, I have like my big main prediction that ties into how I think the plot is going to go, but I'm going to do plot first because I want to keep everyone in suspense. Um, where we've, we've had a lot of theories about what is in the cache in, uh, Fadric City. Um, Sam and I are both pretty sure it's not going to be Adium. Um, we brought up last time it could be gunpowder. I think it could be gunpowder still. Um, but I'm standing by my main theory of it's not Adium. It is something still useful. And also because Ruin is, is whispering in people's ears, possibly as Reen, I think Ruin wants them to find it and use it. Um, and maybe it's because I've watched too much Critical Role. Um, gunpowder and guns do seem like weapons of like destruction that an evil entity would be like, hell yeah, use those things. That would be really cool <laughs> if you use them. Um, so I feel like Ruin would totally be on board with using more guns. Um, there is an aspect of the cache that we haven't really theorized all that much about, which is what's going to be written on the metal plate from the Lord Ruler. Um, and my guess is, you know, I looked back and I think Maladium is the one it says, this is the last metal I'm going to tell you about um, uh, early on in the book. And... That's referred to as the 11th medal by Kelsier. So it's clear Lord Ruler's numerology is not on the same, like, numbers as, as right. the, our there's, main characters There's here. some different systems here. Right. So when he says this is the last medal, it could just be because they found the caches out of order. So I think what's going to be written on the plate is, hey, here's another medal. Um, it kind of sucks, and I don't know what to do with it, and I don't know what the alloy is that the pair of it is. Um... Best of luck. Sorry, I didn't figure this one out. Um, and so they're going to find another medal, and it's going to be like, okay, well, that's not too useful. Um, I think it also could be an interesting reveal that perhaps, you know, Duralumin and Brass both use copper, so we know that sometimes the alloy that you make a medal with is one of the other alimantic metals. Right, um, that is possible. You can't kind of double up like that. So I wonder if maybe the reason all the adium has been disappearing and we don't know where it is is because the Lord Ruler has been trying to experiment because he knows somehow that you have to combine this metal with adium and that's the alloy you need to do, but he hasn't been able to figure out the exact percentage to make it useful. Um, and that's why that's that, that's why no one knows where the adium is. It's because he's been experimenting for years trying to find the combination and it's not working. So... Why does all of this matter? Um, and um, uh, what's what's the deal with the mists? And what's the deal with the number 16? Well, it would be one thing if Demo was right. 
and 16 is just a magical number and the number 16 keeps popping up. It would be way more interesting if the mists are intelligent and they're specifically targeting 16% 16th of this amount of people because it's trying to communicate, hey, the number 16 is really important. It's trying to tell them that information because if we think back to the hit film Contact, how do the aliens show that they're intelligent? They use math because math is a universal language. They send a bunch of prime numbers to show, hey, we know what we're talking about. So if the mists can't speak and they can't communicate in any other way, they're going to communicate using math. So they're trying to tell the characters 16 is really important. And I think the reason why 16 is really important is because the 16th medal is really important. I think the 16th medal is going to be the key to pretty much everything. We already have... 14, I believe, established, and we're still missing 15 and 16, um, and maybe more, but at this point, I'm assuming it, it's probably going to cap out at 16, especially at least within this book series. Maybe Era 2, they'll go into wackier metals, but um, uh, 16 is going to be the number to hit here, and I think what's going to happen plot-wise is Vin is going to read the thing, find out what the 15th medal is, find out it's not useful, and then she's going to figure out the thing about 16. But she's not going to tell Elend because of the whole ruins listening and we can't tell him what our plan is. So her plot line is going to start to like divulge into devoting a ton of her focus to finding out how to make the 16th medal. Because it has to be the key to all of this. It's going to be the thing that saves everything. Um, random other called shot. Maybe 16% is the exact percentage of the alloy that makes the 16th medal. Um, have have kind of those the, the loops, you know, fractals of sixteens going all the way down. Um, so I feel like that's um, what is gonna go on there. That's pretty much the end of the theory. I just have one final thought, which is Mist Spirit really dropped the ball in terms of communicating things because we know it can read, it can cut out pieces of paper and, mm -hmm. and make sure that certain sentences are removed. And it can also nod its head yes and shake its head no. So the fact that there's a bunch of key information that the Mist Spirit probably knew about, and now perhaps, maybe in when Hero of Ages, since Ruben has been released, the Mist Spirit can't appear the same way it did, and that's why Vin hasn't seen it in a long time. But back when it could appear, I feel like it definitely could have been a bit more clear about what needed to happen and, and what the characters should be focusing on. Because it was capable of some form of communication, and it did not really do a good job of communicating. So... Yeah, just going to dunk on the Mist Spirit for a hot sec, and uh, yeah, that's all I've got. It definitely does seem like if there is if there is a message that is trying to be sent across, it's really... It, there could have been a better job done on communicating that. You could have even, like, chopped out pieces of, of Sazed and Tindwell's writings, not to remove specific information, but just to, like, spell out a ransom letter I was that, gonna that say, spells out the message. <laughs> full ransom note here? Yeah. All right. I feel like we're going to... This felt like a, a section where we really need to get onto the, the next section and, and see what we've got coming up. Like, we've... We've got some uh, some exciting things that are are hopefully about to to break. Uh, we also have, like I mentioned, we're we're only doing two episodes on part three, uh, so we do have the end of a part coming up, and there's always some some chance for excitement there. So uh, we'll see we'll see what's coming up next. As we are uh, seeing what's coming up next, we can wrap up our episode here today. 
to be specific, uh, the, the next segment will be covering chapters 40 through 44 uh, to finish up part three. When we do give that a read and get our episode about that, you can find that on alwaysanotherpodcast.com or wherever else you subscribe to your podcast feeds of choice. Uh, you can send us an email at contact at alwaysanotherpodcast.com. I uh, wanted to give a, uh, a thanks again to Adam, who has been emailing us some some thoughts on the episodes as we go. Uh, most of those are kind of deeper discussions that we'll be able to to look back on when we have the chance. I might just like catalog some of those up uh, for when, when the book is all done. Uh, but I, uh, I appreciate what you've uh, you've been checking in on. You can also find us on both Twitter at alwaysanotherpod uh, and on Instagram at alwaysanotherpod. Uh, we keep those up to date with each episode if you want to be informed there when, when new releases happen and also other miscellaneous musings in between. We're getting some important poll data, all sorts of stuff. <laughs> Aha. I just checked back in on the poll, which was asking if which side of the great Ellen pulls out a book during the first dance fight our listeners fall on. We only have six votes, but all six of them say it was romantic. And only one of those votes was me. So that's five votes. Okay, hold on. That's, <laughs> that is not a sample size that allows for good enough data. Ellen and his statistics brain would not think that's a definitive sampling size to, to determine the Coincidence. debate. Coincidence. <laughs> so clearly we need to get to 16 votes. Yes. Yes. That's the determining factor. Which means there's still by the time, time for this a episode drops. <laughs> by the time this episode drops, it will be too late. Ah <laughs> uh, well. All right, yeah, I think that will do it for us here from Always Another Podcast. We appreciate everyone giving this a listen, and we will see you next episode. Yeah, Ham is alive. He has shown us the way. <laughs> Ham, the survivor. Yeah.